Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hi, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. And our guest today is Judge Aurora Martinez-Jones with the Travis County Civil District Court. How are you doing, Aurora? I'm doing great. Judge. <laughs> no worries. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming to the show um, on this Friday, of eight, the first weekend of ACL, October 4th. And before we get started, um, kind of with the meat of the discussion, I want to get some background on your your path to the bench. I'm brought here because we're about we're the same age, and you know, you're, I think you're very relatively a young judge, and just in and and it's elected office, and just give a pathway to that. Like, how'd you get on the bench? So my current office is an appointed office, but I'm currently running for an elected office. Um, but yeah, we are the same age, AJ. And so uh, I'll I'm tell a little you, older, <laughs> a little like by a couple of months, I think. Yeah. So I'll give you those months. I don't need them. Uh, but yeah, I really um, never really thought I was going to be a judge to begin with. I knew I always wanted to be a lawyer. That's since I was five years old. I was always worried about what's fair and what's just. Um, but I didn't have any lawyers in my family. I didn't know any lawyers either, um, but my family thought that uh, my verbal skills and the ability to advocate for myself is how I'll put it, um, (laughs) was something that I should pursue. Uh, I was a bit of a mouthy child. Um, But my parents are immigrants. My father is from Mexico and my mother's from Jamaica. And they actually met here in Austin at Houston Tillotson. Mm -hmm. And so um, when they had me, I was their firstborn and I helped them kind of translate culture, like American culture, because I was their American child. And I did a lot of advocacy for my parents. And for me, I felt like I was giving them a voice. Um, And I was helping them understand a system that I was a part of, the American culture and the American system in school, or just, you know, even going to the bank. I was always there to help my parents. Um, And that really felt good to me. So growing up, I always had my eye on the prize of becoming a lawyer. I wanted to give a voice to people who didn't have a voice, usually in um, the systems that we have and the way that our society is set up. So after I graduated high school, I got accepted to the University of Texas at Austin. So I was very excited to come to Austin, the place where my parents had met, and um, to pursue my degree at UT. I was a government major, as most um, you know, pre-law students are, and I knew that I needed to get through this undergraduate degree and get into law school so there was going to be more school ahead. Um, and also, I was largely paying for my college education myself. Um, I had some loans, and I also was paying for other expenses, so I was doing my best to be cost-effective about school. And I spent my summers at Austin Community College taking my basic courses. And with that, on top of some courses I was able to test out of, I do speak Spanish, so those Spanish credits were pretty easy. Um, I graduated undergrad in three years. Gotcha. So that was kind of me trying to do my best to get through undergrad so I can get on to my main goal of law school. But I knew also I was going to have to figure out how do I be a lawyer? Like, I'm a woman. I'm a woman of color. I don't know any lawyers. I felt a little intimidated about 
what it is I'm going to need to do in order to be successful in the field of law. So um, I looked for some organizations on campus that could help me with that. And I couldn't find any that I felt like were going to be really um, tuned to my needs. Most of them were pre-law fraternities, and there weren't very many women or people of color in those fraternities. So I ended up making my own student group. I formed Minority Women Pursuing Law, and that organization still exists. I'm so excited about that. I go back as a founder, and I support that group of girls. But it really gave me kind of a um, group of like-minded women who also had the same goals, and we supported each other, and together we pursued mentors who could help us understand what it would be like to be in the field of law as a woman of color. And... um, With that organization, I really did get a lot of more confidence, and I applied to the University of Texas School of Law. I was accepted there, so I got to be a double longhorn. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was in law school, I started navigating exactly what it looks like to advocate for people who don't have a voice generally in the systems that we work in. And I found the Children's Rights Clinic. And that is a clinic that helps um, advocate for children who are in the child welfare system. And that's where my passion for child welfare law began. I opened my own firm as soon as I was licensed. And I practiced for about seven years before I was selected by our district judges to take the bench on January 2nd of 2015. So I've been an appointed judge who um, presides over child welfare dockets since then. And now I am currently on a campaign for the 126th District Court. And if I do get elected to that bench, I will be the primary judge in charge of child welfare cases here in Travis County. Yeah. One of the things, too, in our main topic, right, is talking about, I think, one of the one of your um, kind of jewels in your your tenure has been the family drug courts, right? Can you just detail what that what, what all goes into that? Because I mean, there have been some some articles about that, I mean, some positive articles about that too, and just the impact it has. And a lot of times, I think um, more so, you know, in Austin with all of Austin's prosperity, these kind of things get overlooked. Yeah, I am very proud of the family drug court. Um, In Travis County, we are very much trying to be progressive in the approaches that we take in supporting children and families. And this is one of those things. So instead of looking at the child welfare system and having children go into foster care, we look at it differently and say, what if we address parents who need support with a substance use disorder and keep their child with them? rather than put their child in foster care. So through my program, my parents are able to go into drug treatment and they're able to take their child with them. And they get more thorough treatment, they get supportive sober housing, and they get a lot of therapeutic and parenting support while they're getting all of the help they need um, with the substance use disorder. And it's been pretty successful. We've had a lot of interest um, kind of statewide from Dallas County, Harris County, Bear County, coming and visiting us and seeing the model that we're using. Um, And we've even had a lot of national attention as well um, with people asking us to mentor some of the other courts and show how we use a system of keeping a family together to heal the family rather than breaking the family apart and expecting parents to be okay and taking care of themselves when they're really not there day to day for their children. Mm -hmm. And the kids' perspective too. 
Absolutely. Right. We already know that we have a traumatic child welfare system and removing them from their parents is another trauma that we're just adding to as a system. And we're really trying to figure out how do we do that better? If we can think about these kids as our own kids and would we want to see that happen to them um, and really putting those thoughts about progressive policies into practice. Mm-hmm. And just what um, was the impetus for the family drug court? I mean, there's a need, obviously, but can you just some background on how that came, this all came about? Sure. Um, so in Travis County, we are a model court through the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges. And back in um, about 2007, uh, we had a judge, Darlene Byrne, as well as a lot of community providers who saw that most of the cases that we were looking at in the child welfare system had a lot of um, parents who were addicted to drugs. Various different drugs and the type of drugs that we see the addictions to um, fluctuate through time. Um, And the same thing was apparent, though, that we can't heal a family and we can't pursue better parenting education until we address the substance use disorder first. And so through that idea of how as a community we can rally around this epidemic we're seeing of so many parents um, with an addiction, wanting to figure out the best way to serve them, not just thinking about the parent, but also thinking about the child, this kind of court was created and put together. And so as an attorney, I became um, a defense attorney in this family drug court, and I served in that capacity um, throughout the beginning. And once I became a judge, I was able to um, take over and preside over that court. Yeah. And just to, I mean, not naming any names, but you've seen a wide range of folks too, right? It's not just, I think, you know, when people think about some of the articles that are written out and the kind of folks who were here before you, it's it's it touches like these issues touch across the you know, the socioeconomic spectrum. Absolutely. I mean, we like to make sure everybody is educated in our program in a team approach. It's multidisciplinary, but when we are looking at the education about the populations that are affected, while we do have a lot of um, population that are part of the lower socioeconomic um, segments of our community and our communities of color, it is across the spectrum. I have white families, black families, Hispanic families. I have families from East Austin, South Austin, West Austin. I have families from all over because substance use and child Child abuse and trauma is not discriminatory. It affects everybody. Got it. And what's the, what's their average week for you as a judge? For people who just, I mean, I, you know, I went to law school. I've never been in a courthouse um, after law school for anything besides voting. So what's just the normal, uh, an average week for you like? Oh my goodness. So um, I'm one of the busier judges just because of the caseload that I have. There are about 1,500 children in Travis County who are involved in the child welfare system, and I'm responsible for half of those um, children. And so my week is a little bit varied, but for me, I I have consistency. Um, I will have anything from, you know, contested hearings where I'm hearing testimony and evidence about some decision I need to make, either about where a child's going to lay their head at night or um, about the best way to help support and serve that child or about how a parent needs to have more time with their child. It could be anything that affects the parent-child relationship. I may be having testimony and evidence before me so that I can make a decision. We also have state laws that require us to review cases involved in the system at certain intervals. So I do have some days of the week where I'm checking in on those cases that need to be checked in on to make sure we still have progress, to make sure everybody's still keeping their eye on the prize 
eyes and looking at the best interest of the children. And um, that's a really important docket because we have deadlines in these cases. Um, all of these cases have a 12-month deadline for children to be in foster care. There's only one opportunity to extend that for six months, but we have to absolutely figure out the permanency plan for these children within that time. So we've got to stay on top of it. And then I do have my specialty court, the Family Drug Court. Um, it's a multidisciplinary team. I have social workers. I have prosecutors, defense attorneys, therapists, treatment providers. We all sit down for about two hours every week and talk about all the people in the involved in the court. We talk about what we're doing well for them, what we're not doing well for them, how they can be challenged more if we're not um, doing enough to support them or their children. And then I'm having hearings where it's not like traditional court. I'm having a relationship with that parent. We're one-on-one -on -one having a conversation between myself and that parent so that I can understand them better. I can understand their needs and their children's needs. And we can really build a relationship of trust so that I can help guide them through the rest of the program and hopefully deepen their foundation and recovery so that they can be safe parents uh, moving forward. And hopefully the system never comes back into their family's life. And then I also review some cases with children who are in permanent foster care. And I usually do that towards the end of my week on Fridays. I have those children, if they want to come to court and talk to me about their case and about their permanency, they can come and we visit and I make sure that we're staying on top of finding adoptive homes or finding family or helping them become successful adults. And so that's what I usually do towards the end of my week and checking in on those kids. And so between that, any kind of emergency <laughs> that comes up, I also take care of that. And that's yeah. usually what my weeks look like. <laughs> I, 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 I empathize <laughs> in all good ways. You know what you're getting into. And just, I mean, broadly beyond the family uh, drug court, just from the judicial viewpoint, and just any other policy issues you look, or that you know that that touch you know your you or your colleagues that you know y'all are kind of seeing some of this ripples the ripples of. Our courts in the civil side are um, absolutely following all of the issues that come up in our community. When the population in Travis County grows, so do the number of cases we see at the courthouse. Um, we deal a lot with people, especially in our family courts. And when you're dealing with people, anything that's happening in our community affects them. When we have a crisis in affordable housing and homelessness, I see that in my court. I have parents who don't have a place for their children to sleep at night, and I have to decide what are we doing? So where is this child going to be? Am I going to allow this child to be on the street with the parent? Or can I help this parent get into a shelter? And then what's the long-term outcome of how we're going to help this parent get employed and when they are employed, is that going to be employment that provides a wage for them to actually have housing within our community? And it's very sad to me to see a lot of good people who've been resilient and worked their way through a system like the child welfare system, only to have to resolve their case only by moving out of town because it's just not affordable for them here. Um, but that's sometimes the outcome. And we have a lot of mental health issues that our parents are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have enough insurance, they don't qualify, or they can't get access to their psychotropic medications, then they can't safely parent their children. And I have to figure out what other resources can I find to help this parent get stable in their mental health? Um, and how is that going to play out with longevity so that I can feel assured that they're going to be safe for an ongoing basis so that their child can stay with them. And so anything that happens in our community ends up affecting our courts. Yeah, yeah. Well, just parting thoughts you want to provide. I mean, just 
in terms of uh, engagement with, you know, on the civic side for young, young professionals, right? Whether, you know, people who are just entering law school or graduating law school or, or not even in law school, but are in our community professionals uh, who are looking to get more engaged. Like, what advice would you give for that? Whether they want to run for office or just find the kind of their, find, you know, their, their place in the community. I would say um, really think about how you want to affect change and the things that you can do. And one thing that we can all do is vote. And the people who we elect to office, especially in positions like the judiciary, need to reflect our community. It's hard to go into a place like a courthouse and ask somebody to make such an important decision for you and feel confident that that decision is going to be fair and it's going to be just when you're not sure that person understands your circumstances or where you've come from or would even have an idea of how to begin to empathize with you. And so I would say we need to get very educated on the things that um, people in the judiciary do because we're making big decisions and sometimes it's overlooked because I know it's confusing. But I think as um, a person who wants to do their diligence for their civic duty, it's really important to make sure that you understand who are the people asking for your vote to be on the bench and what kind of decisions are they going to make? And do those decisions align with your own perspectives of how people in the community should be treated? So we really need to make sure we have diversity on the bench. We really need to make sure we're taking a look at who we're electing to the bench. And I think people should really be excited about those races and anybody who's ever considering running or um, any young people out there who think they would like to be a judge someday, even if they don't know any judges or lawyers and never met any. I just want to say you can do it. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time, Judge Laura Martinez-Jones. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.
Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play.